Welcome back to Real Phonies, where we take a love for movies and television and combine it with very little knowledge about movies and television. I'm your host, Christian. Join me and my co-host, Joseph. Yellow. And J.U. Go! Wow. A lot of gusto. You've been saving yeah. that one up. Yeah. It's been a few well, weeks. It's been a couple weeks. Yeah. Here to, you know, stay on top of what everyone is talking about right now. Uh-huh. Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah. Super uh, timely on this one, I think. Uh, nothing has happened since this movie came out, so it's <laughs> it's just... All that anyone's thinking. Yeah, about. it's it's just it's been been a mainstay in the the cultural zeitgeist the, from the moment it came out till now. I mean, you know, thank God we're here since nobody has anything on their mind right now. Correct. No one's worried about anything going on in the world. We can talk about this movie that came out two weeks ago. <laughs> I think this bit has gone on long enough. Wonder Woman eighty four. Diana's back in nineteen eighty four. So I don't really anybody, I don't think anybody who listens to this will have not seen the first Wonder Woman. Pedro Pascal's in it. Yeah, Pedro Pascal is in it. Uh, yeah, but this is a sequel to the original Wonder Woman movie. It took place in World War One, and uh, this I guess this one's kind of explaining how and why she laid low from 1918 till 2000 and whenever Justice League was. But just kind of a, a one particular story in in uh, Wonder Woman's life between then and now, I guess, in 1984 with Pedro Pascal. Yeah, I mean, I guess people really didn't like Joss Whedon's justification or whatever because it was pretty shitty that she was just like too brokenhearted and yeah, she let yeah. people die. That's so. that's a great feminist icon where uh, oh, a man broke my heart so bad I can't actually do any of the badass shit. I'm really done saying Joss Whedon's a feminist icon and I say that as a person who has been I, watching a I, shit I meant, ton of Buffy. I meant but... Wonder Woman, not Joss Whedon. Oh. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, um, yeah, I, I also, I, I know we're going to have different opinions on this movie before we get into it. Uh, you know, the, the critical and audience response has been, I would say, less than resounding. I don't, I don't know if there's a real consensus as far as whether it's good, bad, or meh. Uh, Are we talking about 84? Yeah, I'm talking about 84. Uh, but I was I knew coming into this that there's no way we can play this off in a good way where it's just four 30-year-old white guys with beards talking about what a shitty movie this is going to be, even if they're like small critiques. So I thought about taking it like the hardcore approach where we just like rag on it for being a womanly woman movie. <laughs> uh, and all the things that are wrong with it are because of the women in it. And then I realized that there's a real podcast that's also exists that came out at the same time that fucking means it. That's three other white guys in their thirties with beards. And then I decided that was a bad idea because you wouldn't be able to tell the two apart. Nope. No, I mean, you, you can't do it. <laughs> every single podcast is three white guys. Yeah. I think that's the part. I, that's why I, we I need four the, white guys. God damn that, it. That's the big grudge I hold against Ian is he turned this into another three white guy podcast Um, the solution to all the world's problems right now is more white guys (laughs) (laughs) so what did you guys what were your expectations going into this movie i actually so you've been saying this since wonder woman one came out hurt that you thought this movie was going to be better than wonder woman one which i think we all agreed was fine but like a little overhyped uh but less people would see it. And I think that was probably my expectation coming into it. Agreed. I I really thought that the first movie, the things I didn't like about it were probably things that it couldn't help because it was sort of locked into being in the Snyderverse and having that sort of feel and that sort of look of the action and stuff like that. And I really thought, 
particularly after that one succeeded so wildly that when you let these people off the chain and just let them make the movie that they wanted, that it was going to be pretty good. And I was incorrect about that. (laughs) Uh, So I guess we want to get into initial impressions. Well, I just I think for initial impressions, you have to understand that this plot of this movie is based entirely around a MacGuffin that that grants a wish to whomever asks it. And, you know, I knew that going in because of some shit that had come out on the Internet and I had kind of already accepted that. And listen, I don't I don't hate this movie. I don't think it's is the worst movie I've ever seen. I don't think it's the worst DC movie I've ever seen. But I really hate that premise because it just allows you to do whatever the fuck you want without any sort of real motivator in plot. Like you could just be like, and, and the mind boggling thing is it's not just the wishes. Like they're running down a runway and a test jet is fully fueled, just sitting there ready to go. And suddenly Diana can make things invisible. Like the whole plot of this movie just works on whatever needs to happen in this exact moment happens. And there's no motivator or push for it. And that's really like, I don't know. It seems like cheap writing and cheap filmmaking to me. Yeah. Going into this, you know, I really thought that Patty Jenkins was probably a fan of uh, Richard Donner's Superman, but uh Man, the way she goes about Wonder Woman's powers in this, I think she's a fan of Richard Lester's Superman. (laughs) I think she's a fan of that last 15 minutes of Superman 2 where they just start making up powers for Superman. See, I I actually like, I like the basic premise of like the wish granting thing. And I, I think that film is kind of the right medium i guess for that style of story because exactly what you're talking about people just appear out of like you don't need to see how they came into being like if somebody you know somebody just walks into the room they just happen to be there there is a a loaded uh jet that's ready to go because someone wished for it it's fine because as far as we the audience know it it wasn't there or not there uh so i i felt like that was okay i think this is an okay movie on a structural level uh as far as like the plot beats i guess uh, it's it's mostly just an execution issue, I think. You know, like what we talked about on like the action and like shoring up some of the specifics about motivators and and just details of the plot. Uh, but I think like for for well, we'll talk about it later. But what's essentially just you know Diana stopping a monkey's paw situation, it's fine. And you know the Steve Trevor thing also fine. Well, we'll get into that. But I liked having Chris Pine back because I like his and uh, Gal Gadot's Gadot's relationship. So. I mean, well, there's so much in what you guys just said I want to respond to. So I'm going to try to hit point by point. Uh, first of all, the MacGuffin in this is really no sillier than any other comic book movie MacGuffin. It's really, it's no sillier than the Infinity Stones. It's no sillier than that fucking microwave gun that evaporates water or whatever shit. It's, not the, it's not the MacGuffins itself the problem. It's that you don't have motivators for the wishes. You have you have her motivator, but you never even really find out why Pedro Pascal wants to fulfill everyone's yeah. no that that's definitely i think the i one of the big oversights so i guess we should we should talk about the the basic premise yeah pedro pascal is a, a a fake oil magnate who steals this wish stone takes the powers of the wish stone uh and essentially the way that it works which apparently confused a lot of people on the internet 
is people can touch him and have their greatest desires, their, their wishes granted, but he gets to take something precious from them. And, you know, of course, everything goes out of scale, but in order to stop him, Wonder Woman uh, kind of accidentally, I don't know if accidentally, wishes for Steve Trevor back and to stop him, she'd have to give up Steve Trevor kind of thing. And then, you know, it's like a whole thing. You get where it's going. Yeah, I, I, yeah mean, I, I, just, I just wanted to clarify. I wasn't trying to interrupt you, Hurt. I apologize. Oh, no, no. I, and I, I mean, I just think that it's badly executed. Like that thing that you just said right there about it has to give you, you have to give up something to get your wish room. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like I, I thought that, I thought that, oh, well, when you make a wish, it gives him some kind of power over you or something. Like I don't think they, this is both a really, this is like a really obvious movie that for some reason, and that has plenty of fucking time to explain it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that just doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I think plot-wise, the biggest oversights are, like you said, Pedro Pascal's motivation for, like, needing all this power. Because, you know, theoretically, what he wants is wealth enough to take care of his kid but at some point it just becomes you know this loose description of power and it's not really explained why he couldn't just take a million dollars from a millionaire and be like okay i can live a happy life with my kid now a hundred percent that's where the movie falls apart right there is because that if he if that was his wish everyone would be fucking happy like he would have have enough money to take care of his kid Gal Wonder Woman can fucking keep Chris Pine and, you know, uh, suddenly Kristen Wiig is sexy and everyone gets what they want. And that just is the end of the film. Yeah. And I get that you can't do that because we've set up this multi or this, you know, multi film franchise and we have to get her to Justice League. I understand. But if you were to say, hey, fuck Justice League, we don't really like that movie anyway. We're remaking it. Why couldn't this just be the end of Wonder Woman's story or whatever? Sure. And you just do a different fucking Wonder yeah. Woman. Like, well, right. th- that is the problem is that he it just doesn't. Why does he keep going? So, so I don't. Right. I he, never find out. He needs a motivator, and also, as far as establishing the rules of the bullshit, you know, like you said, they they don't really establish, you know, the the taking of something precious, and they also don't define what you know being precious to you, like something that's precious to you mean. Because at first they say something most precious, but then he can kind of just take whatever he wants at some point. It's dumb to nitpick the bullshit magic for this movie, but you're required to know what it is to understand the stakes of the movie. Uh, well, and I don't think it's dumb to nitpick it because the magic of this, you know, of the MacGuffin, they're trying to use to make a very specific point. And I think they do a very bad job of making that point, almost to the point of accidentally making the opposite point sometimes. Yeah, I mean... We've kind of already gone in this territory. So, do we even like issue a spoiler warning or no? I mean, like, we, yeah, we've... you know, fuck it. You've seen this movie. I, it's not HBO I Max. Mean, I, I, don't, I don't think we've gotten too spoilery yet, but we can get spoilery. Well, we'll, we'll get more spoilery. It's fine. Um, I'm curious to hear you how you guys thought of the. I want to, I do want to preface this. I don't hate this movie as much as it sounds like I hate it. Yeah, agreed. I, I, I thought this movie was like perfectly fine. This movie is very close to Transformers. For yeah. Me. Agreed. I don't hate it. I thought it was fine. I, but you know, the problem is when it's dumb, it's really dumb. Um, but you know, uh, I didn't have any major issues while watching it. But what I was going to ask is, what do you guys think of the villains? Because that seems to be where a lot of opinions, good or bad, come from on this movie. Uh, first thing, I mean, just in general. Why are there two? Why are there ever fucking two? It almost <laughs> never works out when there's two. 
just have one. And in this movie specifically, they totally could have just had one. They could have done everything with just Cheetah and maybe made Cheetah more interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Like, like there's no... the. It, I mean, it feels like that the point they're trying to make with this movie is, you know, a timely point for now that getting your greatest wish is always is not worth it if it's going to make someone else's life worse and that's totally a great point to me made uh, and i think that's maybe why that they they went with two villains like i think they couldn't just have that be cheetah because if it was a woman it doesn't make the same point but also kind of if it's a latino it doesn't make the same point like, if you're trying to make that point, it kind of needed to be a dislikable white guy. Yeah, I mean, all that's fair. Also, to your point of, of just paring it down to Cheetah, I think part of the problem with making, like, intentionally making Pedro Pascal, uh, I already forgot his fucking name. What is the name of the character? Maxwell, Maxwell Lord. Lord. Maxwell Lord. You know, intentionally kind of the sympathetic villain where it's like, oh, he, it's not for him that he wants this, this, uh, you know, status or wealth or whatever, you know, undefined thing that he wants. It's for this kid. I, I think that's a mistake in general for, you know, kind of muddling up the, the moral lesson at the end of this movie. But also I think it's a more like compelling case for this idea of this woman who's been kind of in a place of having uh, no influence or power in her entire life, getting power, realizing how arbitrary you know, all these rules and opinions and esteem and all these kind of things are, and then just desiring more of it because it, it's so it's so stupid that she was ever held under the, you know, the heel of society in the first place. I think that's a mo- like a more like earnest motivation than whatever Maxwell Lord's motivation was. Right. Totally. Totally. I, I think I think a, the one reason why they couldn't do just Cheetah, and this is kind of comes back to the execution problem. And while I wish if you if you if you executed it the way you did, the character of Barbara Minerva and Cheetah the way you did, I do think it requires a secondary character. However, if you had actually made that character and given it depth and not the stereotypical pissed off nerd that we've seen a lot in comic book (laughs) movies, then you could have done it on her own. Like it's the same plot as Electro and Amazing Spider-Man 2 as uh, Uma Thurman and Batman and Robin as Michelle Pfeiffer and Batman Return or Batman Forever, Batman Returns, whatever fucking one it is. Guy Pierce and Iron Man 3. Guy and Pierce and Iron Man 3. It's if you had actually (laughs) made a character instead of that trope of comic book fan turns into comic book villain then i think it could have done it it could have been its own character it probably would have made a better film yeah no i i 100 agree with that well, one thing i wanted to mention about this that i that was uh, i meant to mention this very early on but before watching it sarah had read a like article about it where i think patty jenkins had said the best part of this movie is the fashion show that Chris Pine does in 80s clothes. And, you know, I thought that was just like a funny thing they were saying about the movie, but it was actually the truth. <laughs> yeah. That I mean, the, I, it was I, that's, funny. That's the thing. That's like, the best sequence in this entire it's movie. It's the best sequence. And, and, you know, I don't, I haven't seen Gal Gadot in like anything else, really. I guess she's in the Fast and Furious movies. Uh, right. But like the bits in this movie where, she is trying to sell her her uh, choices and motivations based on like 
kind of like lofty idealism. I don't like, I don't feel like she sells it. Like I don't buy it from her, but the, the, the bits that are related to Chris Pine, both when she's relating directly to him and the bits where like, she's making decisions based on how much she misses him or loves him or all these kind of stuff. Like she really sells that. Like I really buy their dynamic a lot. And mm-hmm. I understand that it's, it's uh, I, I feel like there are probably people who are against having Chris Pine back in this movie just for the sake of, you know, bringing him back. But I really think that's this character shines through like that relationship. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the animated DC show, superhero girls. Um, my kids love it. Right. And, and in it, they make wonder woman essentially useless every time Steve Trevor is around. Like she just, she just becomes like totally enamored with Steve Trevor and can't do anything. And she's by far and away the most powerful character on the show. So it's always like a huge detriment anytime Steve Trevor walks by. Um, That's how I felt watching this movie. (laughs) I thought it was like the exact, I was like, oh, this is superhero girls. Like Wonder Woman is, I, I don't have a problem with them bringing her back. And I actually don't have a problem with what they do with it. I just feel like they make Wonder Woman too connected to that character like i i and it trust me it's better than joss whedon's 70 years of a broken heart prevented her from saving the world agreed i just i just feel like it's 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 too much maybe i might be in the minority there but it reminded me of that cartoon where it's definitely too much sure (laughs) so actually that's a good question those are like 10 minute episodes right those little superhero girl yep would you have rather watched 12 of those or one of this movie? I mean, I got to go with 12 of those because I've seen them all probably <laughs> 14 times. Okay. I think both of you all na- navigated that part of this thing without saying anything too horrible, but I'm not going to. Here's what I think about that. Uh, why don't these people just make a fucking rom-com? Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing about the first Wonder Woman and this one that everyone says is that Chris Pine and um, and Gail Gadot have great chemistry. They're great on screen together. The romantic bits are great, which is definitely something superhero movies have a hard time land. But that's all these movies land. And I'm just watching it. And it's like, well, if that's all I care about this movie, why am I try- having to watch the shitty action in this movie? I would enjoy this rom-com. Damn, yeah. you know what? That's actually, I, like, that's that's actually a fair a point. point. <laughs> Because and this is especially something that we've talked about, you know, at, at this point, you can't just make a standard superhero movie anymore. Like, I don't even think like this one, I guess, kind of stretches it with kind of these loose wish, uh, you know, parameters to the story. But it's like a pretty like, you know, cut by the numbers superhero flick, uh, you know, not really any other genre hybrid kind of thing. I don't think superhero rom-com has been done. That's true. So I'm super game for that. I think that's a, a good way to corner a new market. I, I, I mean, I just, I really, again, I know I've already harped on this, but I thought without having to fit into the Snyder sort of style, the action in this would just be better. But the action in this is not good. It's real bad. It, and I mean, man, particularly, let's, let's nobody ever try to do the indie truck scene chase. Mm. Like that fucking sequence is perfect. No one else should try it, but you definitely shouldn't try it like this. Yeah, also the indie truck chase with superpower defeats the whole like <laughs> point of the indie truck chase. Right, totally. I did, I was kind of saving this, but we're kind of in that part of the film. Is this movie racist? 
I mean, it's not not racist. It is not a good look for Muslim people no. in this movie. Yeah, that's um, true. It's very much like 2002 stereotypes. Super, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, having... Look, I have no problem with Gal Gadot. I have no problem with the nation of Israel. I'm just going to say having such an outspoken Israel woman on certain issues like Muslim-Israeli relations as Gal Gadot is, and then be in this movie that presents Muslim people in not a very positive light is not a good look. I mean, not even just a not positive light, but just like such a remarkably stereotypical light. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, it was a big problem for me in that like 45 minutes in the middle of the movie yeah yeah yeah. well you know what i mean since you went there i'm gonna go ahead and go oh here. no gonna, we didn't mean to I, bring it down deeper i wasn't gonna bring this up but i have to so wonder woman totally rapes that dude right <laughs> so this that, is a good that's question not, that's <laughs> not steve trevor's body that's yeah, that dude's so, body so let's he ta- does not consist let's talk about this guys because it's like we talked about so Dude, far. Dude, white guys everywhere are going to fucking love this episode yeah, of this podcast. Yeah, for sure. It's the best. It's the best <laughs> this thing is why I didn't want to do this episode. People but. think we stormed the Capitol when yeah. they're finished listening to this. Yeah. Well, here we are. Uh, the whole thing is because we've established the rules are super loose as far as like shit just appearing out of nowhere to fulfill these wishes. There doesn't have to be a good reason. There was literally no reason for the writers of this movie to have to have a host body for fucking Steve Trevor's soul to just, I don't know, fucking forcefully take over. That's yeah, just, you, it's you such made, a weird choice. You made a wall appear out of nowhere. Why can't you just make a human body yes. appear out of nowhere? And also, if if that is the rules, then at the end of the movie, there's no way to put everything back in play because everybody who, you know, like the guy who wishes the girl would get dropped dead in the diner, like when she comes back to life, she's going to have to take another body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you should just be able to return. I don't know if there's a time limit on the bodies. It's a weird decision. I don't know that it counts as rape. I don't know what happened to that guy's soul. <laughs> yeah right was he like During those I mean, he, two days he clearly wasn't just like watching because otherwise he would have recognized her at the end right uh, because that was i was worried this is like locked in syndrome and he's just like screaming at the top of his lungs you know inside his little brain or something yeah it's a, like it's a really such a dark choice for no reason <laughs> yeah it's weird it's it is a weird decision and <laughs> where did his soul go that's a great point and, oh, man. and the thing is the thing is Cutting that out could have done a thing this movie desperately needed, which was to cut down some fucking time because <laughs> this movie was too long. Would you like to hear some movies it's longer than? Sure. Sure. <laughs> this movie is longer than Goodfellas. <laughs> Do you think this movie did a better use of its time than Goodfellas? We all know the answer to that question. This movie is longer than The Dark Knight. <laughs> yeah did this movie do a better job with its time than the dark knight this movie is longer than infinity war a movie where they killed half the people in the universe all they did in this movie is a month of people made wishes and then wonder woman told him maybe those aren't a good idea and then the movie was over yeah but linda carter's in it jay i don't think you understand the uh the, the linda carter thing like okay that reminded me so much of Fantastic Beasts, which was, you know, like when the 
when the twist was, you know, Colin Farrell shape shifts into the actor Johnny Depp. Like, you know, and it's like, it wasn't that it was Grindelwald because we hadn't seen Grindelwald. We didn't know what he looked like. We we're just like, oh shit, the twist in this movie is there's the actor, Johnny Depp. <laughs> that was the same shit with this. Like, like she shows up and she's like, oh, I'm the great warrior Asylvania or whatever their fucker <laughs> name is. And, uh, and like, I at the end had to go, go and look up. It's like, well, who the fuck was Asylvania? Oh, they mentioned that like three hours ago in this fucking movie in a throwaway scene about where she got the armor, which the armor did good, look, look good. I'll, I'll say one good thing for this movie. The armor looked pretty fucking tight. Uh, I mean, I thought the armor was fine. I actually thought her like just like the bright colored version of her normal attire looked really good in this film. Agreed. Uh, I was sad they went away from it because it, it looks way better than the like muted Zack Snyder version of it. I thought totally. another thing you when we're getting back into the Zack Snyder things, I genuinely can't remember. Can she fly in those movies? No. No, she so took she, an airplane in one of those films, actually. That's true. So she learned to fly in this one and then somehow forgets to fly before we get to this. I can't remember if it's in Justice League or Batman versus Superman. I want to say Batman versus Superman, but there's a whole fucking scene of her on an airplane, which I, now it, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I've never th- this is not really this movie's fault or not, but I've never been a super fan of of Wonder Woman flying. I've always thought the invisible jet was cool and it gave her a different power set than Superman. So reading a Wonder Woman story isn't just a Superman story starring a girl. So I'm not a fan of that anyway, but I, in this, it just doesn't make any sense because she can't fly later. Like, why does she forget how to fly? She gets real mopey about Steve Trevor, I guess. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> the second time it broke her heart. She forgot how to fly. That's what it was. Yeah. Listen, I th- I think this movie is rough. I still think I would still argue it's fine. It is. It's too long and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And don't think about it as a universe at large, even though they kind of made it. I don't really, know. Just don't think about it. Just watch. Don't it. think at all. <laughs> just let it absorb into your eyeballs and you may have a decent evening. So, so first off, I ha- now I'm going to have to totally go back at the beginning of this and, and take out the bit where this is, you know, uh, you know, not going to be the satirically uh, anti-feminist one because you know we're just we're going off the rails. But uh, I actually came into this having only two notes about this movie because I was willing to accept all the other dumb shit. Do you want to hear my two <laughs> notes? Let's hear it. All right, my first one, and I hate this just in general, in all in all fictional things, is it's you know again this story is functionally just a glamorized Hollywood version of a monkey paws story where the monkey paw is a person. Uh, right. There's there's a lot of other iterations of this. You know, the the whole "be careful what you wish for" is in all kinds of things, but I just feel like as far as you know, have your greatest wishes desire, it has consequences. I feel like the uh, base archetype of that fiction is the monkey paw story. So to reference it in the movie feels fucking dirty to me. Uh, <laughs> it would it would be it would be like if like Rick Grimes wakes up in the hospital and someone's like, "Oh fuck, there's a lot of zombies out here. You got to shoot them in the head, haven't you? Ever seen Shaun of the Dead or something?" Right. And I'm just like, I, you know, like I can't, I, I I just don't support that kind of uh, that kind of meta story bullshit. Okay, now I, here I agree with you. It would make it makes this movie worse, but that makes The Walking Dead ten <laughs> times better. 
I do, I do, I do like the, the idea that The Walking Dead can exist in the same universe where Shaun of the Dead also exists is pretty fantastic. way better, dude. Yeah. Way better. Um, <laughs> yeah, if the first, the first thing he said is like, "Oh shit, this is just like a zombie movie." <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be- <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my my other thing that really bothered me is I'm sure you guys read, you know, Hertz talking about how long this movie is. Patty Jenkins had a big thing about how she had to fight with the studio to keep both of the opening sequences in this movie because she insisted that they were absolutely both necessary. Well, I would strongly argue that fucking neither of them are necessary. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the second one being that, that fucking robbery in the mall that's supposed to be like, hey, look how 80s this is when it doesn't really actually seem 80s at all. No. Very insufferable and doesn't add anything to the plot and doesn't fit the tone of the rest of the movie in any way. Uh, and then the first one, which is supposed to be like the Amazonian, uh, you know, like Olympics kind of thing, right? Uh, where it's supposed to be the lesson of the movie, right? Where the lesson of of the lesson of that story is, uh, if you win but you cheated, you don't actually win. Which, sure, I mean that's that's a lesson. That's great, uh, but I don't think it applies at all to the actual like lesson at the end of this movie because at the end of this movie she can't win because she cheated the only way that she can win is to uncheat by getting rid of seeing Steve Trevor which is a totally different lesson I think right. yeah, so totally, like yeah. fuck both of these opening sequences I hate this movie. I don't actually hate this movie but I really hate the fact that they she had to fight for both of these and they're both fucking worthless <laughs> yeah, the, the first le- lesson is crime is wrong, and the second one is that you can't do crime. Like crime is impossible. Like you <laughs> yeah. know, like that, that. Those are definitely different lessons. Well, I, I have one more thing. My last thing to bitch of this movie is why was it set in 1984? Yeah, there's nothing to because uh, Stranger Things is really popular on TV. But I mean, it, there's not a good or reason like. Stranger Things makes good use of of 80s nostalgia, even when it isn't making a point about the 80s or now. This does not. Like, Agreed. Yeah, this, I'm just saying not. I'm saying it's a ripoff of that because because there is a popular thing out there right now. And 80s nostalgia is very popular thanks to The Weeknd and all of his synth music. Or so I have been told. Um I think people just think they want to see 80s shit. And then, yeah, I mean, like this has no business. Like it's not no business is the wrong term. It doesn't capitalize on it. Right. It, do- it doesn't do anything with it. I just think if it was making a serious point about now through the 80s, that would make a sense not to use the nostalgia items. Like if it had some sort of high minded integrity. But if it doesn't, why isn't there fucking some fucking 80s music in this? You know, Lucky Star was out that year. Madonna's Lucky Star. You don't think a movie about wishing would work in this? Uh, Van Halen's Jump was out that year. A movie, you don't think the scene where she was jumping and learned how to fly would work with Van Halen's Jump? ZZ Top's Sharp Dressed Man was out that year. There's a goddamn fashion show in this movie. Like, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking. It's like they failed on both ends with that. So is there anything else we want to yell about, about uh, Wonder Woman 1984? Or are we good to, uh, to, to call it a day? I mean, uh, you know, I don't think I actually said the words, I didn't enjoy this movie. Would but you I like to? Enjoy this movie. Okay, I yeah. did not enjoy this movie. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, you know, 
I know there's the thing of you're supposed to recognize when something is not for you. And maybe this wasn't for me, but I, I don't know who a movie this bad is for. Yeah, well, I I I can't agree with that on this subject. I maybe I'm I'm wrong, but based entirely upon how Cheetah is portrayed in this movie, I would say it is for like nerds and not in a good way. Right. I mean, there's a character that literally is supposed to emulate how lonely people feel and like a person who's smart, but doesn't really fit in and, you know, gets kind of pushed to the side. And if that's not like comic book people before Batman begins, I don't know what is. So, right. you know, maybe you say it's maybe not for you. But again, they have a character that's kind of supposed to look just like you, though that's a woman. <laughs> um, so if you dislike it, then I think that's a pretty fair claim. Right on. Well, thanks for making me feel like less of an asshole. You're welcome. My whole feeling since I've watched this movie is like, I just don't want to talk about it with anybody because I'm going to seem like an asshole. I'm going to have to just keep saying, but I really liked Captain Marvel. Well, now, <laughs> now we collectively sound like assholes, so we can yeah. have that in common. Let me go. I'm going to go. I, I'm actually going to say, I think this movie is slightly better than Transformers. I think there's a there is good there. I think all of the cast is better than all of the cast and Transformers. I just I just don't think the plot works very well and it when it bugs me it bugs me a whole lot. I think the thing that bums me out the most about that this movie is sort of failing is that it's just going to reinforce Warner's idea that man we got to make really dark depressing superhero movies. That's the ones we make that succeed. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to say I don't know off the top of my head uh, whether it's better or worse than Transformers. I will say whichever one is shorter is better. <laughs> it's surprising it's even that close for you because this is about <laughs> twice as long as you think movies should be. It is. <laughs> well, I mean, particularly since this one, it, this could have been a 90-minute movie. This could have been a, like, mid like, Are you trying to say Transformers couldn't have been a 90-minute movie? No, Transformers definitely could have been a 90 minute movie. Maybe that should be just the new. Maybe that should be. I'm telling you, every movie should be 90 minutes. They're the best yeah. movies. Yeah. Our new Except Lord of the Rings. Whether or not something is shorter than Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> shorter than Transformers, then it was an enjoyable movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Good one. All right. Well, I think that's it for Wonder Woman 84. You've probably seen it, but if you haven't, it's on HBO Max, or you could go to a theater and get coronavirus. <laughs> hey, but we love theaters, you know? We do. I, you know, I tried I to go agree. see it in a movie theater. I, I wanted to go see it, but when I went, there was there was 50 people in the auditorium, and I was like, nope. Yep. Further death of movie theaters is apparently now Disney is thinking about doing the co-release thing, uh, and it won't piss off studios since it owns all of its all own shit. And, yeah, right. But, but yeah, that's it for uh, Wonder Woman. We got two weeks of content. Have we been watching anything uh, notable, guys? So I'm not going to talk about any shit that I've watched. Well, I will talk about one thing that I've watched. And I'm going to do it in a manner, because I just get so jealous of you guys talking about shit that no one else cares about but yourselves. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I'm going to do that today. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so I'm sure I've mentioned on here before, I'm a big fan. Uh, this is how you know I'm a douchebag. I'm a big fan of the band Dream Theater. And uh, <laughs> Jay, he laughs because he knows it's true. Um, you know what? I, I have to say this before you go any further. Like, 
You're exactly a dream theater guy. I just didn't think you were old enough to know about them. Fuck you, bro. I am obsessed <laughs> with dream theater. Uh, I mean, because I would have said it if you would have asked me to classify you, I'd be like, I, uh, Christian, he's like a dream theater guy, but he doesn't know that he's a dream theater guy. But apparently you do. Yeah, man. Since I was like 16 years old. Um, so dream theater started off with three guys, John Petrucci, John Myung, and Mike portnoy they have had like kind of like a roundabout of piano players and lead singers through the years they've settled on a piano player named jordan rudis he's been there for like 20 years now lead singer doesn't matter if you know anything about dream theater it's that the singing always sucks and the best songs have no singing in them i still listen to them but it's not good singing um but about 11 years ago the drummer for Revenge Sevenfold died unexpectedly. Dream Theater was in between records. Mike Portnoy, the drummer, filled in, finished the tour. Fast forward a year, 2010 rolls around. Mike Portnoy tells the rest of Dream Theater he wants to take five years off, do a farewell tour, and be done with Dream Theater. And they all kind of said, no, dude, we want to keep making music. Come to find out, Mike Portnoy had decided he wanted to be the drummer for Avenged Sevenfold and leaves the band. And for me, very heartbreaking because Mike Portnoy is the reason why Dream Theater is good. I respect John Petrucci. He's a monster, but Mark Portnoy is it. There is a documentary on YouTube of the rest of the band auditioning five drummers to replace Mike Portnoy. And I only tell people to watch it. Number one, because watching a person experience Dream Theater music for the first time is of my favorite pastime. But it's also really interesting because you watch four dudes take five of probably the top 50 drummers, top 100 drummers in the world, and intentionally try to break their brain as hard <laughs> as possible. And if you're like me and you're a person who, you know, I, I would classify myself as probably an above average musician. I'm not very good, but... You know, I can walk into a room and be okay. To see these guys get their brains broken is really encouraging. It just makes me feel good about myself. Makes me feel like not all hope is lost. Spoiler alert, Mike Mangini wins, and I fucking hate that guy. He's a douchebag. But <laughs> Yeah, no, watch the Dream Theater Drummer Audition documentary on YouTube. It is, it's worth an hour, in my opinion, even if you don't know who Dream Theater is. I, I love this. I will definitely look this up. I'm, I, 60 I, minutes I, is an acceptable length for me. <laughs> I, I've, I've never been super into dream theater, but I just like as a concept that they exist, that they're the things that are just for musicians. Like they might as well name the band No Girls Allowed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, th th this sounds, uh, sounds super fun. And as for Avenged Sevenfold, fuck that fucking band. There used to be some kid who worked at the theater who used to argue with me all the time. I can't even remember his name. All I remember is he he argued with me that they were the greatest band of all time. I'm like, dude, they don't even think they're the best band of all <laughs> No. I like a few Avenged Sevenfold that, songs. Fuck you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not even sure which one they are, which <laughs> to what I'm saying, honestly. I, I hate the band. I, I did, did not was a fan of them anyway, but when they took Mike Portnoy away from Dream Theater, I cursed them. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 was a, it was a bad day for me when Mike Portnoy left Dream Theater. It was really tough. It, really and the fun. perfect description of this band is those three guys, Mike Portnoy, John Petrucci, and John Young, all met at a music conservatory together <laughs> where they all played classical music and just <laughs> were like, fuck, what if we did this in metal? And... Uh, that's the kind of shit that all of those words combine are perfect combination for Christian to like it. <laughs>
<laughs> I mean, I know you also majored in music for a while, Christian. Uh, I don't know if this was your experience, but it was my experience. The people who were really good, who were a lot better than I was, either got really into jazz or really into metal or both. Yeah. So that, no, 100%. That for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, That's all. I've heard, do you have any drumming related content? I don't have any. God damn it. Content. I don't. Did you watch that Rami Malik movie? I, well, it's not Rami Malik, but I, it's, yeah, Whatever. we'll get to it. <laughs> Riz Ahmad, right? Yeah. Uh, I did watch that, that uh, Riz Ahmed drumming movie. Uh, I, will, I will take Hurt's spot and do a non-anime stint here. He looks uh, super buff in it. He is pretty buff in it. Uh, you know, he's been all kinds of sizes, it turns out. So this is a movie. Uh, it's called The Sound of Metal. It's an Amazon original. It's on Amazon if you have Amazon Prime. But it's about a guy who is a drummer for a metal band uh, who very suddenly loses his hearing very bad. Like, like not like kind of slowly loses his hearing, but like loses his hearing. And kind of, uh, it's about him kind of adjusting, uh, you know, having to, to learn how to be deaf uh, and like learn sign language and kind of, you know, meet a new community and learn things. I will say, having watched this as, as a person, who does not have any hearing problems watching Riz Ahmed go deaf and kind of reckon with the fact that he can't hear. It was, it was harrowing for me. I feel like this movie might not be a good one for Hurt. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, you've, you've already explained to me perfectly a movie I will not it's, be watching. It scared the shit out of me. Uh, mm. But, uh, you know, I think one of the things that it does really well, uh, because it's actually not as much about, like, the the hearing loss is kind of like I, to me what's what's arguably uh, you know uh, not scary but I, you know it, it, that's equally as scary I think uh, which is that he kind of has to re, you know readjust his whole life and he's introduced into this deaf world where he knows nothing and everybody else knows way more than he does so he's you know going to like these sign language meetings doesn't know any sign language everybody else you know can communicate he can't communicate with anybody and it's just that it really captures that like that scary newness when you're just like, it's the, it's the first day at something and you know that you are like way behind everybody else. Uh, and you know, it, it, it's him, he gets better and he has kind of has to change his, his, I don't know, his values and things that he's looking for. It's a, it's a good movie. It's a good story, but I think it captures that new person fear better than anything else that I've, I've seen in a long time, which is granted not a thing that I need to experience, but uh, you know, I guess it's something. Uh, but on this note, before I let it go to hurt, I, this is also kind of on the heels of, I also watched the entire uh, series of The Night Of with Riz Ahmed, uh, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. So the same guys that made The Outsiders, which was not renewed for season two, but it's uh, very, very suspiciously like the first season of Serial uh, for anybody who loves that podcast. Yes. Uh, but, you know, Riz Ahmed gets uh, accused of a murder he didn't commit. Uh, a lot of suspicious details and it, it's kind of about the uh, the legal battle of, of kind of fighting how fucked up the system is, but it's also kind of about Riz Ahmed surviving, you know, as an unjustly uh, imprisoned guy in a prison full of hardened prisoners. But I think, have you guys seen this, this series? I did not. I know Ian's talked about it. It's really good. It's really great. Here's the biggest problem. They, they make a substantially more compelling story 
out of John Turturro battling his eczema and maybe or maybe not getting a cat than they do out of the fucking story of of this trial which is not to say that the trial is not compelling because it is like it's a really interesting story but john Turturro battling his eczema is fucking like it's it's riveting i don't know how else to describe it it's the weirdest fucking thing i can describe <laughs> the other See, thing good you talked me into watching that <laughs> you should it's good the other thing that's interesting about this uh is that so john Turturro is kind of like he's like the uh, bargain bin lawyer you know who who will you know get you a settlement for fewer years off whatever you did you know he he represents guilty people who do like low-level misdemeanor bullshit and so he's just kind of like this scummy cheap looking lawyer who works with scummy cheap looking people uh and you can tell like his character is very much like he's supposed to be he can talk his way out of anything you know he's, he's very like likable personable and that's how he kind of gets along in these circles the thing about it is so this series was co-produced and was originally supposed to star fucking uh, James Gandolfini as that character, which doesn't make oh. sense at fucking all to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and to replace him, they were going to have Robert De Niro, who had to back out at the last minute. And then they replaced James Gandolfini and Robert De Niro with John Turturro, uh, which is, I think, a, just a dramatic left turn. Right. Uh, but the thing is, I can't imagine like one of those guys that's kind of got that, you know, like bringing an intimidating presence to that character, I think would really diminish how interesting of a character it is. Controversial opinion is I think John Turturro is the best actor of the three of them. He might be. I don't no, know. I, would I, agree I don't know anything that. about James Gandolfini because I never watched The Sopranos. But yeah, uh, anyway, it's, it's a really great series. It's just, uh, a short mini series on HBO. Uh, and Riz Ahmed is really skinny. This one's got medium and large Riz Ahmed because he's skinny before prison and real buff after prison. And then Sound of Metal has medium Riz Ahmed. You really <laughs> kind of sold me on the Sound of Metal because, and Jay, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but that kind of sounds like what like Roger Daltrey's gone through over the last few years. Like, I mean, a... it's 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 like it's almost a, an alarmingly real story. Sometimes things that are too real like hit way harder because they just feel like oh geez this is like this is too close to something that has absolutely happened to people you know yeah i'm yeah. i'm pretty sure that dude is deaf now mm. and something about you know exploding amps and shit behind you for 20 years did not yeah, do well was, in his eardrums i was about to say both him and uh pete townsend are pretty much deaf because uh keith moon was an asshole yeah i mean basically i mean keith moon great drummer probably a fun guy to party with but a bit of an asshole with the firecrackers yeah <laughs> anyway that's all i got uh, no anime this week you're welcome <laughs> i was i was really hoping you were going to do anime just so we could have a hat trick uh so <laughs> i i like uh, and i had this real fucking disappointing week and what really happened last week so it's like two weeks and you know it's just it's one of those things that like since no one else is interested in it there's no one to share my pain. That's right. It's a soap opera week. Yeah. So, so uh, I should have so, done anime. You, know, <laughs> you really should have done anime. So last time we checked on soap operas, my big thing that I was watching that at least I was talking about. Ninjas. Was, well, yeah. Guiding Light 1984, which was a fucking triumph. I had so much fun doing that. Uh, when I got into eight, 1985, Man, it was just like a, it was like hitting the brakes. The show was just not as good. And I was having really having trouble finding the stuff, like even more so than usual. So 
I almost got so frustrated with, with it at one point. It's like, well, I'm just going to go back and watch a stretch that I know. There was a nice stretch from 79 where there's like two full weeks. I was like, I'm just going to go watch that stretch from there. And I went to look and it wasn't there anymore. And that's when I realized the pretty much the best content provider of these old soap opera things, Munco um, Jim was gone. And like, this was just devastating for me because not only did he have the most shit he had the best shit, like his shit, like so much of this shit is grainy, bad tracking VHS shit. And his shit, like he must have had some sort of connection with like with like TV stations to get like master copies or something. Because his shit was almost always really good. And he made really good playlists that you could follow and, you know, everything was in order. And he was, he was just really good at it. And his shit's just gone. And there's... And so I tried to, you know, do some detective work and find out where did Munko Jim go? And it's looking like Disney is the uh, is the source of my pain. Because mm, oh Disney, no. Disney is like, well, Munko Jim, basically, he mostly dealt with the Procter and Gamble sort of soap operas. Guiding Light, As the World Turns, Another World, Search for Tomorrow. Uh Disney owns the ABC soap, All My Children, One Life to Live, General Hospital. And there's a rumor that Kelly Ripa is trying to get a All My Children reunion movie off the ground. So that's why people are saying that they're purging all the soap opera content off of YouTube. I don't know why they would have knocked this guy out since he had like zero ABC content, but his shit's gone. And it was a real drag for old Jehu. So, uh, so yeah, that's really, I don't really have anything to talk about that I watched, just shit that I didn't watch. But I, I do think it's a bummer. Like, I know that this is a thing I enjoy and most people don't. But I think to not have somewhere where you can go, you know, get a sense of the history of, you know, this programming that is a big part of the culture, that is a big part of television history. And, you know, to maybe undo some of the damage I did in the first half of this podcast, you know, a really big thing for women in entertainment. Women were showrunners and writers on on soap operas a long time before they had a huge prevalence in primetime TV or movies. Uh, so just that there's nowhere you can see any of this shit as drag is a drag. I wish if they're going to purge this stuff that the companies that own the stuff would try to do something to get it on some kind of streaming service or something. I mean, you know. I remember, I don't know if it was after watching the movie Hugo or before or after, it doesn't matter, but I remember being like alarmed and, and shocked that somehow all of like these old original films from the 1920s that like the advent of film as a medium, uh, like 80 to 90% of them are gone, have either burned up or are right. destroyed or, you know, have, have just fallen to decrepitude, whatever it is. Uh, I remember being like, holy shit, how fucking irresponsible of, of some asshole to not be like preserving this shit. Uh, right, right. It's an important part of human history. But fucking like, I dare you to watch a movie like a, a maybe a non-popular movie from like 1987 now. Like fucking find it for me. I dare you. Uh, <laughs> it, it's so, like, like you said, like soap operas are gone. Like uh, you can't find old episodes of like talk shows because I used to love to watch old Craig Ferguson stuff. Right. Um, and those are just nowhere. And so, like, I totally can see how, like, all the shit that we love watching may just fucking disappear someday. Like, it might be in a back closet somewhere at some lot that might get demolished in 20 years. 
Uh, I mean, really, like, I think everybody now takes for granted that you can see everything you want to watch all the time. But you can't, not... is the problem. You can only <laughs> right. see the things that you want to watch of the things that you want to see. For example, uh, our good friend of the show, Zach Evans, uh, who has on the, the Broke Box Office podcast, one of his favorite movies is a Chinese movie called The Chungking Express. Just like, right. okay, Zach and I have similar tastes. I'd like to see that movie. Seems like a cool movie. Can't find it. Can't find DVDs. You can't find it on streaming. You just, it just doesn't fucking exist. Right. damn that big sucks. tech silencing which movies we can and can't watch but for real fucking control right. the narrative it's brutal <laughs> it's and that's the thing like it's 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 so like it, it you know fuck this is taking a real divergence but like it's so darkly like utilitarian it's not because they don't want us to see some of these movies in some cases i'm sure it is but most of the time it's just because they're not popular enough to merit like being on you know yeah. being stored on mm-hmm. the app but fuck somebody might want to see them Someday. Right, right. I was I was really hoping you were gonna say Orwellian because God, how many times have I heard that word in the last <laughs> five days? Um how many people have brought up 1984 that you're fucking positive have never read 1984? Listen to me. In that book, <laughs> the guy who runs the government is not the fucking innocent one. So <laughs> it's mind-boggling to me that this is the compa- <laughs> This is off topic. Guys, it just really, is... it really pisses me off. It, like to no end, it pisses me off. This is the most unlistenable episode we've ever fucking recorded. It might be I my would... favorite. I think I, I, think, I was gonna say I think it's my favorite. <laughs> oh, oh Why do you because think that's unlistenable? That's... We've we've pissed off both the feminist and the alt right in one episode. Yeah, and that's a we've, that's a real challenge. We we spent, we've become an island of assholes. We spent a total of of thirty minutes talking about dream theater and soap operas, and fuck, I don't think anybody's that big of a Riz Ahmed fan either. So you know, <laughs> oh, it's fine. Well, I mean, the the thing is with that, the dream theater thing is that's that doesn't hit on everybody. But the people that that hit on, if there's one listener out there that was into dream theater, he's on board now. Well, he's already watched it. But the moment we get to that part, he's stopping this podcast watching that. And I say he because it's most definitely a dude uh, watched it and then came back and listened to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> right. We should end now. We should end now. <laughs> yeah. I, I know this is, uh, is... Is there anything we want to do for next week? Is there anything we're hankering for? I'm not saying we do this as an episode, but WandaVision comes out Friday. That's right, it does. Yeah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm certainly not opposed to doing WandaVision. We'll, we'll, we'll put that as a template if something else exciting comes up on the way. On the way. But uh, yeah, WandaVision sounds like a good starting point. <laughs> well, if you've made it this far, God bless you. You're a real trooper. Thank you for listening. Please uh, tell all your friends about the podcast. Uh, if, if this, if, <laughs> if you want to hear more about Dream Theater or, <laughs> or your favorite soap opera YouTube uploaders, uh, you can reach us at realphoniesgmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Real Phonies and on Instagram at Real underscore Phonies. Thanks to Zach Evans for art and Brian Velasquez for our theme. We'll see you guys later. Later. <laughs>